0: Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Jesse Hewitt, author of the new book, Institutionalizing Gender, Madness, the Family, and Psychiatric Power in 19th Century France. Available now is an affordable paperback, which is even more affordable with the promo code 09POD, which will save you 30%. Jesse's new book is also available for free as an open access ebook on our website. Visit cornellpress.cornell.edu to download it right now. Jesse Hewitt is Assistant Professor of History at the University of Redlands. Follow her on Twitter at jessiehewitt. We spoke to Jesse about how psychiatric professionals in the 19th century dealt with gender how men and women would often crack under the pressure of the strict bourgeois gender expectations of the time and how the psychiatric system dramatically oppressed women and had an extremely damaging impact on men as well. Hello, Jesse. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Jonathan. Thank you for having me.
0: Our pleasure. We're excited to talk about your new book, institutionalizing gender madness, the family and psychiatric power in 19th century France. Tell us how this book came about. Tell us the origin story of your research. Well,
1: I started from the position of uh, being really fascinated by gender and the family in the 19th century, um, but also realizing that a lot has been written about gender and the family in the 19th century, especially middle-class or bourgeois gender values. Uh, And I wanted to come up with some something new, essentially, to say about these people during this particular period of time. Uh, And one of my mentors was uh, a disability historian. And this is a pretty new, relatively new subfield. Um, Her name's Katherine Kudlick. uh, And I decided to basically go and talk to her and say what, what can I say about gender in the family? I'm interested in in women and men and how they related to one another and what their expectations for their behavior were in the 19th century. And she's definitely a big uh, cheerleader for disability history. And she said, well, obviously disability. And so I went to the archives in Paris and uh, visited a whole bunch of libraries and archives. But the, the main archive that I went to on that first research trip was the uh, hospital archives in Paris and so I was just sort of culling through things thinking well where's gender in these sources and I pulled one particular journal and it was called the, it's the anal medico-psychologique or the journal of the psychiatric profession, basically in the 19th century. And I found this article that was just called madness as a cause for divorce. Wow. And I thought I've never, you know, I've never thought about madness as a cause for divorce. And I I thought, well, here's, here's some disability history, here's the family, here's gender and power relations. And so that just kind of got me into the the wider question of how psychiatric professionals dealt with gender. How did they construct gender? What did this have to do with with relationships between men and women? Um, And so that was kind of my, my jumping off point. And it definitely, has taken on a life of its own. I don't even know if the stuff on, I don't think the gender and divorce stuff barely makes it into my book, Um, but it led me into other directions. And I just think the source material for the history of psychiatry is super interesting. And there's so many sort of, you can think of them as kind of human interest stories um, that just, draw you in. And so I had a, had a really great time sort of sifting through archives and, and journals.
0: Fascinating, fascinating. What were the gender expectations that you found in these journals and in the archives?
1: Well, I mean, in some ways, kind of unsurprisingly, the main, it's, it felt like reading doctors, reports about their patients and their interactions with their patients tended to reflect what historians call bourgeois gender values, meaning that um, there's a great emphasis on ideal femininity being uh, the angel, the so-called angel in the house. Women should be focused on motherhood, they should be focused on creating a safe sort of Comfortable environment for their husbands. Um, women were definitely defined primarily as wives and mothers, and this you can see in the the way that doctors interacted with their patients. Where and this there's a lot of scholarship, you know, outside of my book on this topic, which basically shows that 19th century psychiatry was um, pretty fundamental in pathologizing certain behaviors. Um, so women who wanted to work outside the home, women who didn't wanna have children, women who loved other women. Um, these, those are all sort of attitudes that doctors played a hand in pathologizing. At the same time, I found and was more surprised by the fact that doctors also tended to think that madness could be inspired by the behaviors that were expected of women. So there's all sorts of women who supposedly went mad because of pregnancy um, or because they loved their husbands too much. So they have this weird thing kind of going on where women who didn't fit the mold could be deemed insane. But at the same time, women who fit the mold too much could also be called insane. Um, so, so that's one, one thing that I found with respect to women and gender with respect to men and the expectations that doctors had of them. Uh, and my book really does look at gender as a system. Um, it's not just about femininity. It's not just about masculinity. There's It, it looks at the links between them. Um, but with men, the really sort of underlying message was that uh, the, the perfect or ideal rational man was, a, was someone who made money, was someone who was married, was someone who was heterosexual, ideally had children, um, had a career that was professional that w- they focused upon. Um, and this is basically the idea that men were most rational is what justified in the 19th century men's power Um, their political power, their economic power, their familial power over their wives and children. Um, And so doctors play a huge role in perpetuating that idea that men should have power because they are inherently rational. At the same time, again, they contradict themselves constantly because there are so many men in the 19th century who end up in asylums because they basically crack under all this pressure. Um, so men who failed in business enterprises, they, they, that constantly comes up in the psychiatric records. So it's, uh, on the one hand, doctors insist that women are more naturally irrational and men are more naturally rational, but their own evidence is constantly sort of contradicting what they claim.
0: It's fascinating that they created an ideal, but then they also had, at least they had the insight to say this ideal could also create madness or could create problems in and of itself.
1: Right. I mean, I feel like they weren't so self-reflective. Um, They—that's That's what is happening, but they never say, you know, sort of straight out that, oh, this is the very gender expectations that we are helping to establish are the very things that lead men to break down and, and supposedly go insane. Um, but but they, that's absolutely what's happening when you read what, they, what they're actually
0: talking about. Interesting, interesting. How do you hope your book will make an impact in your field?
1: Oh, well, I guess, you know, step one, um, I, I hope people read it. Um, and I have been lucky in the sense that Cornell offered the option of doing this book open access. Yeah. Um, so the, there's, a, um, there's the possibility for people to download the book without uh, purchasing it which I think is going to um, not only allow scholars access to the book, but hopefully people who are just interested in these issues would be able to check it out and they wouldn't probably buy it. Um, So in that sense, very just very uh, kind of simplistically, I hope people read it. Um, But in terms of the scholarly sort of impact, um, really I think I would be happy if, people could rethink their ideas about gender and the asylum system a little bit because it's one of those historical topics that I think even among historians is really shrouded in mythology. Um, In the case of France, there's uh, basically the story that, psychiatry has told itself about their origins has up until you know the 1960s or so with with Foucault writing his his more much more critical work on psychiatry up until the 1960s people tended to look at the birth of the asylum as this extremely positive or progressive development. Um, It was sort of a symbol of new hope for the inclusion of people, supposedly insane people, sort of incorporating them into their communities by, quote, curing them of their ailments. Um, But are, you know, since the 1960s, and certainly among people who were put in asylums against their will in the 19th century, the picture of the asylum is the opposite of progressives. It's very much focused on the, the disciplining aspects of of psychiatry, and the way that it um, didn't result in the liberation of people deemed insane, but instead created new forms of oppression. So either way, whether you're thinking psychiatry is sort of this great new hope for for the the sort of post-enlightenment world or the or the asylum is just a sign of complete evil and oppression, I think both of those kind of, um, in some ways, when it comes to gender, miss the mark a bit. Um, the The dominant view of gender and psychiatry is very much psychiatry oppressed women by institutionalizing women who didn't conform to certain norms uh, and also really creating this belief or helping to create the belief that women were inherently irrational and therefore incapable of being citizens so that's the real that's the the key view or what most historians have thought about gender and and the asylum i would love it for people to kind of complicate that idea a bit and look at the way that Asylum psychiatry did create really oppressive expectations for women. But it also created un, you know, unreasonable, you could say, expectations for men too. Uh, and so as men basically come to be seen as the leaders of society because they are inherently rational, those that that's actually a dangerous thing for for some men if they're labeled insane and so it really upsets power relations in the family where you have women in some surprising circumstances being able to get their husbands institutionalized or get their fathers institutionalized um and therefore gain some 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 economic power some you know, other forms of authority for themselves. So I think that's one, one thing that I'd like people to sort of look at is how this is a bigger, it's not just a story of the oppression of women. It's a story about shifting dynamics within the family after the French Revolution. But before you get to what we think of as more the equal, Marriage relations of today
0: interesting yeah I like I like that you're you're expanding the uh, the oppression to both genders too that that men suffered perhaps not as much as the women, um, but still there were levels of of um, oppression that well, you know, affected men
1: and that's precisely it is that women were undeniably more oppressed by the psychiatric system because all of the you know in addition to the fact that they just didn't have as much authority to contest what was happening to them they also are you know it's kind of impossible for women in the 19th century to prove that they're not insane because everything they did if it uh you know if they were like insisting that they were rational all of all of the assumptions about women was that they weren't and so they couldn't really You know, they couldn't do any as much about it. Whereas men, at least if they found themselves institutionalized against their will, they could muster all of these cultural assumptions about men being inherently rational, about men being good husbands and good fathers. uh, And they could use that to basically defend themselves against what they claimed were false accusations. Um, So yeah, it was bad for both, but more bad for women. Um, And I also think that even the doctors had to, they had to submit to these ideas related to gender themselves. And so the doctors are often, you know, I get the sense through reading the sources is that they're often trying to quote, prove their own masculine bona fides in their interactions with their patients. Um, and so doctors weren't these sort of ultra authoritative, omnipotent sort of, Bengalis or something. They were instead men who also lived in this society that tells them they need to act a certain way and interact in a certain way.
0: Wow, wow. Um, one of the things that I saw Um, in your book that I thought was fascinating. Tell us a little bit about the the private mental institutions that were run by women.
1: Yeah, I think um, probably the most surprising and exciting aspect of my research process was finding this book written by a woman private asylum director. Uh, And her name was Marie Rivet. And she was the daughter of a couple who ran their own private institution as Marie was growing up. And so her father was a a doctor who was really well known in Paris. He ran this institution for wealthy patients, basically. Um, Victor Hugo's daughter, lived in the asylum later run by Reve and this is that to me is a, a sign of how elite <laughs> this particular family was um so they knew uh they they were known as kind of the place to send your your family members if uh you were wealthy and um you thought that they were having some sort of psychological issue so I was very surprised when I came across this book written by Rive in the 1870s about her life as a child literally growing up in a mental, mental institution that was run by her parents. So she, she grew up in this home where her family lived alongside patients. And then when she came of age, she operated a series of institutions herself. Um, And I think that that fact that she had her own private asylum, that uh, she really justified her own authority and expertise on the fact, based on the fact that she had grown up in what she called uh, the amidst. The mad so she grew up quote amidst the mad and therefore she had all this kind of um, practical training in how to how to supposedly cure people and care for people. Uh, And yeah, it was, I mean, I think it's pretty shocking in some ways that there were women asylum directors, not in public asylums because there were all of these rules about who could go to medical school, who could, who could actually take exams uh, that allowed you to intern in public asylums. So women weren't doing that in the mid 19th century, but there were a handful of women like Rive who were related to men who had had asylums who then took over or started their own. And I think that really goes to show that my earlier point about how Asylum psychiatry actually disrupted gendered power relations in some ways because Revae as a woman would have been seen kind of out, of out of her personal context. She would have been seen as someone who was emotional, who was not probably the most rational person just by virtue of being a woman. Yet when she's put in a scenario where the men around her are considered insane, all of a sudden she can justify her authority over them. And she ends up having a really kind of prolific career. She heard this book of hers that I I found uh, and I didn't discover it. It was cataloged in a library. Um, But this book really... It's the only one that I've discovered from the 19th century in France that was written by a woman um, about about her experience as a, an asylum director. So it was it was extremely exciting
0: to to yeah. find that. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a that's a great find. Um, yeah, and the fact that, that that it was published it just shows the power that she had. Um, and as you said, it was contextualized power that alone as a woman no she can't be rational but in comparison to her patients now she is an authority figure yeah
1: yeah and she i mean it's also it was just a really uh you know wild book to read because i had before finding it i had no idea that some of the that these private asylums some of them were modeled on family homes and the again, this kind of pokes holes in the notion that psychiatry was only sort of repressing women because you have this this notion that was being promoted by doctors in the 1830s and beyond that said, uh, the best way to teach someone how to become rational again is to basically create a simulated family home, Mm -hmm. like not with their own family members, but with the doctor, with his family, with other patients. And you essentially teach them to become rational by convincing them to act as they, as a middle-class family would act. Um, So considering in the the middle-class family really said women are nurturing, women should have a certain amount of authority in their family, in their household, over their children, that sort of thing. It actually opened the door for women having psychiatric power um, if because they can, if you're gonna recreate a bourgeois family, you're going to actually need women, um, according to 19th century ideas. and. And some women were able to sort of slip through the cracks and exert power in unexpected ways.
0: Nice, nice. Hence, institutionalizing gender. Yes.
1: right. yeah. so the the title of the book i I'm sure, like most people who have written books, i I went over the title a million times and had about fifty different titles mm-hmm. that I would want. And eventually I did decide, even if institutionalizing gender, it, it's a bit of a mouthful, but I felt like it actually gets at my argument and the topic of the book, which yeah. is the ways that doctors used literally their institutions to cultivate gender expectations. Um, and also just, they they defined rationality and cure as living by these gender values that people sort of expected. So their, their quote, treatment often involves convincing people to act like good men and women, according to their definition.
0: Amazing. And, and in a family context, too, that's, that's really amazing. The, the, the treatment program is like, let's put you in a bourgeois family setting and, and everything will work out.
1: Yeah, it'll be just fine. Um of course, lot most of these people who ended up in institutions never left them. And so that that should have uh that should have told these doctors something about their their treatments, but they tend to uh they double down on the institutionalization by the end of the 19th century. Um, they become less and less convinced of the, the healing power of bourgeois gender values. Um, they actually get more cynical in a lot of ways as time goes on and they, they give up on that idea, that idea that the bourgeois home could heal people. Um, but, uh, and they start to think of madness as being more uh, hereditary and more sort of biological almost and fixed. So it does, it is sort of of a particular moment, but I think that it tells us quite a bit about 19th century medicine and and gender, of course, too.
0: Excellent. Well, this is a fascinating topic. And for this and many more stories, please, uh, listeners, take a look at Jesse's new book, Institutionalizing Gender, Madness, the Family, and Psychiatric Power in 19th Century France. And thankfully, thanks to generous funding from the Andrew Mellon Foundation, uh, the Sustainable History Monograph Pilot, this book is open access. So you can go to our site, cornellpress.cornell.edu, type in Jesse Hewitt or Institutionalizing Gender, go find the book, you can download a PDF, download it EPUB. You can also find it on Kindle, uh, JSTOR, Project Muse, any place that has ebooks, books uh, Jesse's book is available for free for download. So please do so. And the paperback is available and will be shipping out in December. So if you want a physical copy, the book's available that way too. So we, we encourage you to uh, read uh, Jesse's new book. So thank you, Jesse. This was a great conversation. And again, congratulations on your new book. Thanks, Jonathan. That was Jesse Hewitt author of a new book, Institutionalizing Gender, Madness, the Family, and Psychiatric Power in 19th Century France. Download the free open-access edition of her new book at cornellpress.cornell.edu. And if you like what you read, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% off the paperback. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.